Welcome to bad. I'm not doing that. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. As always, dad is indeed an energy. It is not a gender. Um, we got a fully loaded week. Um, Herbie style. Yeah. I mean, it may seem like we're covering six movies, but actually we're covering nine movies. Um. You'll you'll see what we mean, but we should probably just get into it. <laughs> That's a lot of smackaroonies. We only had time for one mystery movie pick this week because you'll see what we were doing. Um, but I picked this one. I was really excited to pick it, um, particularly after our wonderful episode with our friend Cassandra. Go listen if you haven't. Um, trying to make sure that we are not only watching movies by a particular group of people. Mm-hmm. And I knew that most of the movies we were going to watch this week were going to be by a particular group of people. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure we don't do, we start with something different. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, you had said, I know that I'm not going to get to have a mystery mystery movie pick for a while, but I've got mine in the bag. And then it ended up being this movie. So I stole your mystery movie pick. Works out perfectly. I'm so excited. So we watched the 2023 movie Rye Lane. It is a comedy drama romance. It's directed by Rain Allen Miller and written by Nathan Bryan and Tom Melia. And I just put the two main people as our stars because they really are the anchor for the whole film. So David Johnson as Dom and Vivian Opara as Yaz. The synopsis is two young adults reeling from bad breakups connect over an eventful day in South London. Though I would like to point out that IMDb says two youngsters (laughs) and i changed that because what the fuck youngsters that sounds like they're children (laughs) (laughs) they are not children two small babies two little babies out of bad breakups uh so what did you think of rylane i was very excited that you picked this because yeah like you said i wasn't gonna get to have a mystery movie pick for a while and when i saw that this came out onto streaming i got really excited so i was overjoyed that you also picked it and I'd heard really good things about this because it premiered at Sundance this year, I believe, and it was getting some really good reviews. So I this was a total surprise that it was going to be available so soon for us to watch. I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was just like a good time. Yeah. Like the definition of a good time. Yeah, like nice, easy, accessible. It kind of gave me a little bit of uh, Nick and Nora vibe. Okay, like, but not so twee. Yeah. Um, but the I really liked Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist when it came out just because it was just so easy and fun and takes course over or takes place over the course of a night. And it's just kind of following these two people around in their misadventures across New York City. I have been seeing a lot of comparisons to the before trilogy. I can see that, too. This is a, a funner, more oh. fun, more fun version yeah. than that. But it's I can not see so that philosophical, but but it yeah. is. Much of the movie is the camera following them as they walk and talk. Uh, yeah. And like about relationships. Yeah. And, and life. And yeah. 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 And the future. Something much different in this as compared to, say, the before trilogy is it is stylish. Yeah. Like I kind of, um, I kind of turned to you at one point and I'm like, this is giving me kind of Spike Lee vibes. Uh, yeah. Spike Lee vibes a la do the right thing. Just with its like very interesting kinetic 
camera work and cinematography. It has some, it uses like unconventional angles. The thing that stuck out the most for me is that it uses fisheye lenses a lot, Mm -hmm. which I thought Mm -hmm. was when I first kind of realized it was doing it, I'm like, is this going to start to kind of irritate me a bit? But it didn't. I thought it was a really cool way to frame our, our characters and whatever the focal point in the shot was. And there was a lot of panning shots with it. So it, it felt made it feel like you're in a bubble a little bit, but a very cool bubble. <laughs> As someone who reviews movies named Robert Daniels said that, uh, quote, not since Spike Lee introduced the world to Bed-Stuy has a black director so seamlessly embedded viewers into the verve and flavor of their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's thematically at all like do the right thing no but the idea of being in a very specific real location in the world and the film is about people living in that neighborhood and understanding the neighborhood just through what happens mm-hmm. um i definitely think is feel that feels like there's some homage there and that there's this um history of filmmaking happening on screen which is really cool yeah I totally felt that. And I, I agree. I totally love that. I felt really immersed in the neighborhood. Um, and I, I feel like that's kind of, it's what do the right thing was doing. I also kind of felt that way in like Nick and Nora's infinite playlist. Like I felt like I was in New York with these people yeah. going to all these, all these different venues and stuff like that. Um, but I think what makes this movie work, well, what potentially makes or breaks the movie is, having great characters Mm -hmm. and Dom and Yaz are great characters to follow on this journey. They're also cute as hell. Yeah. And again, so stylish. I'm like, I want all their outfits. Yeah. Like both of them. Dom's little pink converse. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, like they're so great with his green jacket. I just love it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They got really great vibes and they were both, they were both funny. They were both really sweet. Uh, I think that they, yeah, they were both just really charming and they drew me in and they they brought in some really great side characters as well that were just ridiculous and kind of fun <laughs> fun little parts of the side quests that happened throughout this movie. Um, but yeah, I, I think, do you think you'd watch this again? Yeah, I think like on a matinee on a day when I just want to feel nice. It's kind of where I'm at too. Like I, I would be totally happy to throw this on in the future if I just wanted, yeah, like a little pick me up. Because it is, I mean, I'm not the biggest romance genre person, also not the biggest action person, and yet this year I've watched so many romance and action movies already. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the kind of movie that I that charms me in terms of romance, mm-hmm. where it's not. In so many ways, it is a conventional romance. Like there's a meet cute and there's complications and so on and so forth. But that seems secondary to just this exploration of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also slice of life. So you're going to win me over regardless of genre if we've got that going on. Mm -hmm. Just like we enter into their lives and we leave their lives and that's it. And it's, you know, it. I, I like that like finite amount of time that the movie takes place in. Yeah, I'm just this like glimpse into these characters in this particular point in their lives. Um, I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Something that was really sweet that I read is I follow a letterboxd user who I guess lives in this place. Oh, yeah. And went and saw it in the theater not knowing it was set in the town that he lives in. (laughs) Or like not even the town, the 
area of it's London, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then was just like so delighted to like see all these places that he walks and goes in every day. But I guess the the most amazing moment was that there's a point in the movie where they're at the theater he was in watching the movie. Oh, that's funny. But he didn't know that was going to happen. It's like, oh, meta. <laughs> <laughs> Accidental meta. And it just made me think of, you know, we've had some opportunities more recently to see some filming locations now that Albert is becoming a little bit more of a hot spot for filming stuff like mm-hmm. Fargo and the last of us. And I'm sure there'll be more and more and more. Um, but I think the difference between that being like, Oh look, they shot this thing in this place, like the Alberta legislature, which is right outside your work office. Yeah. That's the Capitol, the state Capitol building in Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. The difference here is that like these locations are the places they are. They're not being used for something else. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Like I think it, it's like that one really bad movie that was shot in West Edmonton Mall. Yeah. I think like the closest, and again, this doesn't tie directly to what you're saying because it, it's using existing locations as different locations, but we went and saw an Edmonton made movie called come true and it was it was it was eh, whatever but like they used a lot of edmonton locations including the metro theater that we go to all the time yeah that we were sitting and watching it yeah so like moments like that it was like oh shit or they used a lot of um university of alberta which is like where i did two of my my only two degrees i don't know why i was gonna say two of my degrees like i I have 20 no big deal But I think there's something different there. Like if there was a movie filmed in Edmonton and it is supposed to be Edmonton. Yeah. Like like people walking down White Avenue, walking down 109th, going into the River Valley, like that kind of thing. If our Rye Lane was a film called White Ave. (laughs) It wouldn't be as exciting, I don't think. (laughs) Brewery District. (laughs) We're going to make that movie. (laughs) Prepare yourself for brewery, brewery district. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. This was this was just really this was really nice. It was really enjoyable, and yeah, I would definitely throw it on. I think it would make a a great double feature with Nick and Nora. I don't know. Why I keep going back to that, but it just it, like, <laughs> I'm not that interested in rewatching that. But yeah, I'm sure know. it doesn't hold up very well. But um, maybe this is the this is a new film that can give me the Nick and Nora scratch that Nick and Nora itch and. In a much better way, in a way better looking way too. It's on Disney Plus, so if you got that, I think it's definitely worth a watch because it's fun and it's sweet and it's happy. It's just good, good times. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Joy, joyously along for the cutest hell ride. How to make you feel? Just really sweetly happy. Ooh. All right, I'm interested introing this next movie because I feel like you don't want to. I feel like you asked me to intro everything with hard to pronounce names yep (laughs) (laughs) okay we were really really anticipating this movie and wanted to watch it for months and we were just like metro cinema is going to get it eventually metro cinema is going to get it eventually metro cinema is going to get it eventually like we were making it happen through our thoughts yeah and guess what metro cinema did get it eventually so we finally got to see the quiet girl uh it's a 2022 drama film directed and written by Combe uh, Barred and based on the short story Foster by Claire Keegan. Um, it stars Catherine Clinch as Kat, uh, Carrie Crowley as Ellen, 
and Andrew Bennett as Sean. And I do not think I'm pronouncing Sean right, but everywhere I looked online told me that's how to pronounce it. So that's what we're going with. Believe everything Believe. on the internet. Indeed. Yeah. Um, apologies. The synopsis is rural Ireland, 1981. A quiet, neglected girl is sent away from her dysfunctional family to live with foster parents for the summer. She blossoms in their care, but in this house where there are meant to be no secrets, she discovers one. That's a crappy synopsis. I, yeah, I read that one too, and I was. You have a better one? Uh, pff, no, I wish. Okay. <laughs> um, that makes it sound much more dramatic than it is. Yeah. So I don't know who writes these things do better <laughs> i think the attempt is to intrigue people and get them to want to watch it but i don't think the movie needs that personally i prefer uh honesty over fluff well i don't think it's fluff i think it's manipulation don't give me that either no fluff no manipulation <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of my rap album <laughs> uh, mm, mm. you could take those two words in two very different ways Oh, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what did you think of The Quiet Girl? Uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for stories like this. Yes. Big time. Yes. You know this. Yes. Um, And I, yeah, I was really looking forward to this movie, and I didn't really know that that's what it was about. No, we just heard it was really good, so we were like, we'll go see it. Yeah, it was, it was nominated for an Oscar this year. So, yeah, when when, it, when the credits finally rolled, I was like, yeah, like I mean, this is my jam. I I love stories like Matilda. Uh, I really love stories like Anne with an E. If you don't know what that is, it's on Netflix. It's a version, uh, an adaptation of Anne of Green Gables, very famous Canadian character that's from the eastern shores of the country. And I never read, and they're very popular books. Never read them growing up or anything. My only exposure to this character is was Anne with an E. One of the best shows I've ever seen. And I I watched it on my own because I did like Anne of Green Gables growing up. Mm -hmm. And I thought you wouldn't care. I'm like, you're not going to want to watch Anne with an E. Very rarely do we not watch things together. Mm -hmm. um, and then I wanted to rewatch it. And I think it was during COVID. It was. And I was just like, eh, do you want to watch it with me? And then you were almost mad at me that I hadn't watched it with you the first time. Because first episode, you were crying like a baby. Yeah. You you were so in on Matthew. Oh yeah, it, it's so good. I got a tattoo inspired by this freaking show. It's yeah, and you bought a very expensive art print. Yeah, also um, also gorgeous. Show. One of my favorite pieces in the house. So there is that kind of storytelling that's happening in The Quiet Girl, but um, there's some something that stuck with me from this movie is that it is quietly powerful. Yeah, I mean, the title really does fit, like changing it from that short story title of Foster mm -hmm. to The Quiet Girl. And I mean, we went into this knowing not really anything about it other mm -hmm. than it's probably going to make us cry. It's more of an indie film mm -hmm. and people liked it. Like yeah. we, That's all we knew. So I didn't know if she was going to be mute, like somebody who literally does not talk. Mm -hmm. um, but quiet means something different yeah. in this and the filmmaking itself is really quiet. Yeah. In a really beautiful way. Just a lot of really well-executed lingering shots and moments that just kind of hang. Um, mm, a lot mm -hmm. of quiet moments. Um, I, I also kind of felt, felt that this 
is not out of the realm of something that I could see Celine's Gamma making. Yeah. Yep. This would be like a good double feature with Petite Mama. 100%. And and like it's it's brilliantly and heartbreakingly acted. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically from Sean and Eblin? Island? Island? I'm so sorry. Uh, doing our best. But those two characters in particular just absolutely wonderful yeah. performances. Yeah. And the the roles that they took on again it's roles that we've seen in films that have and stories that have come prior but the way that they deliver them and the the kindness that comes through and the growth of the characters over the over the course of the story just got me well there is you know i know we're specifically um relating it to matilda and Anne with an e and i'm sure there's other stories yeah i mean i'm not an annie person but i'm sure that's yeah. You know, anything where there's like a little orphan girly or orphan-esque, like a little girly who's neglected and looking for a home elsewhere, right? Like there's lots of stories like that. Yeah. But a lot of those are pretty like Matilda, you've got the supernatural element. Yeah. And like her parents are cartoonish mm-hmm. in their neglect. And Anne with an E, I think Marilla and Matthew are really grounded. Yes. But Anne is not. She's this like precocious, never stop talking, imaginative, overly romantic with the way she talks about nature and everything, right? Mm. But in this one, everything's pretty grounded and pretty real. Yes. Right? This feels like those stories brought into the real world. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more. And and then this like in- incredible purpose behind the shot composition. Mm-hmm. Um, which was really, really, really lovely. It was really beautiful. And at one point when we were watching it, I was like, is there no score? But there is. It's just used very sparingly. Yes. And it's very, it's so well done that you almost don't hear it. Yeah. Like it's like it just is in line with the emotions you're experiencing such that you almost don't realize there's music at all. Yeah. And I think that that is what, lends itself to what I said earlier that this film is quietly powerful. There's nothing about it that is coming up at you full force. It's all very subtle. And when things are heightened emotions or scenery or whatever it is that sticks out and it's meant to be a punctuation point. Yeah. He does this really interesting thing of sometimes having these incredibly soft, as you've said, lingering shots, but then sometimes there's these like stark, quick close-up images and then we move away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that juxtaposition between those two kinds of shots I think speaks really directly to like the two living experiences that she's having. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like, you know, about 90% of the way through the movie, I'm like, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> Not a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Why are people crying in this? Yeah. Um, and then, like a thing, ha- like right before it happened, I was like, oh, "It's gonna happen." Yeah. And then, uh, just waterworks. Yeah, same. just so many tears. Mm-hmm. And it was another one of those ones, like Race Boy Sleep, which we talked about last week, where you could just tell a lot of people needed to sit and mm-hmm. and dry their tears during the credits. Yes, because. I start crying. I start crying heavily. And then 
the the lights started coming up and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I got to clean up. <laughs> I got to clean up. The other thing worth mentioning um, for people who maybe haven't heard of the movie is that it's in Irish. Like it's yeah. in the Irish language, which is uh, not something I've ever seen on film before. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, you know, like like in, say, Everything Everywhere All at Once, there's some characters who don't speak Irish, mm-hmm. who speak English in their Irish accents, um, and other characters who are having to to speak both languages. Um, and I think that probably, especially set in 1981, is an experience that many folks have had that I don't know has been in a film that has made it international. Yeah. No, yeah, that's a good point. Because it was really cool to kind of see them as different characters came in and out, seeing these actors move between speaking the speaking the English Irish and then the Irish Irish. And this is such a, a common experience um, for families where, say, either the kids grew up speaking a different first language than the parents or where one parent doesn't speak that language. Mm-hmm. So I think even of um, our two nieces who their dad speaks Mandarin, but their mom, my sister, does not, or at least not beyond a child level. Mm-hmm. Um and like even being in their house and hearing that mixture of Mandarin and English and like hearing our four-year-old niece kind of speak to her mom in English and then her dad shouts something to her in Mandarin and then she speaks back in Mandarin. And I think the more we get to see stuff like that, that reflects a lot of people's lived experiences. I had a friend growing up who um, she spoke Cantonese and so did her parents, but they'd kind of move in and out of it like so that for things that they wanted me to understand (laughs) I'd get to they'd speak in English um and I'm really excited to see more of that where it's not like it's all in this language or it's all in that language but reflecting real life which is multi-language yeah and like it is something special like in everything everywhere all at once which has just one best picture there's something about the way that in the even the opening scene when Evelyn and Wayman are talking to each other and a sentence will start in Chinese and then shift to English for a couple words and then shift back. Like where And they're also moving between Mandarin and Cantonese. Yeah. So seeing those quick shifts as opposed to such a stark like this is in this language, then this is in this yeah. language. Seeing this blend together through family dynamics and how people interact with each other and how everything kind of flows together. I I am totally here for seeing more of that because it feels so more, so much more real and lived in for the characters that we're following. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The last thing I wanted to point out is we talked a lot about these shots and how these shots kind of stuck with us. There's one shot in particular that I think will stick with me forever. And the way it was filmed was absolutely gorgeous. And it's just one of the sweetest things. It kind of reminded me of the one of the opening shots for Petite Mama when yeah. she's oh, driving. Yeah, that's a yeah, a good comparison. Um, but it's it's a simple shot of just a person putting a treat, a little biscuit, down on a table, and then we just kind of linger on it for a moment, and it's just so lovely, and the biscuit looks so good. But it's just a really sweet moment, all in all, and it's just this one gesture is just the cinematography heightens the Im- how impactful the gesture is. Well, and I think 
it's a small gesture, but to go with this language of quiet, that gesture is really loud. Yeah. But in like a warm way, right? In yeah. a like, you're not going to miss what this means. Yeah. To the characters or to the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think playing with that symbolic idea of volume mm-hmm. through the camera work yeah. and the characters is brilliant. Yes. Um, it was a really, really, really beautiful film. Yeah. Talking about it more, um, I would love to revisit it. I was pretty tired when we saw it and it just, yeah. it was really important for us to see it in the theater and it was the only night we could go, but it was at nine 30 on a weeknight, which is, we wouldn't typically go out to the theater at that time. <laughs> we did a lot this week. Oh, though. We did. And I think that probably impacted the degree to which I was able to like fully lose myself in it. And, and I was kind of like, Oh, I have seen these stories before. Yeah. Um, but I think it's done really, really, really beautifully and the filmmaking and acting on top of just the story is really impressive and this movie's worth checking out yeah i think it's worthy of being in the criterion collection and i would absolutely snap up a copy of whatever release they would do of it also you know who speaks irish paul meskel yeah there's a cool little clip of him speaking irish on a red carpet did you want to put a link to it in the show notes yeah, we can. <laughs> the little like kissy emoji next to it. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> Twist my arm. <laughs> uh, how did the quiet girl make you feel? Uh, lovingly heartbroken. Hmm. How did it make you feel? Warmly sad. Same, same playing field. We're, we're really paradoxical in our... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ooh, baby. This is... The big smackaroonie. Four smackaroonies in one. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is what we've been doing all week. This is why we're not doing mystery movie picks for the most part. We dove in and watched John Wick one through four. We're going to talk about them concurrently, but spoiler free. Yes. Uh, so it came out. They, John Wick one came out in 2014. They've been making these up until... 2023 when chapter four came out uh they're action crime thrillers directed by chad stelhalski um and it stars kind of our our main heavy hitters are keanu reeves as john wick (laughs) ian mcshane as winston lance reddick the late lance lance reddick at this point as sharon uh lawrence fishburne as bowery king and then um Exclusive to John Wick Chapter 4, which we saw this week in the theater. We have Bill Skarsgård as Marquis, Donnie Yen as Kane, Shamir Anderson as Tracker, and Rina Sawayama as Akira. Uh, The synopsis uh, for John Wick 1 that kind of kicks off this whole thing is an ex-hitman comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that killed his dog and took his car. And then the sequels deal with the consequences of John Wick coming out of retirement. But that, that first synopsis for John Wick 1 you're not interested in that oh boy got got us in <laughs> um so yeah we freaking hit it this week with john wick let's get into it what do you think john wick this is a this is a this is a big thing for you four four action movies <laughs> i was like what do you mean four action movies in five days is a lot to watch in a row this is true um, we had watched John Wick one before. 
Yeah, I've seen it three times now. When did you see it the first time? I think you were you were on a trip somewhere. I think you might have been. I don't. I don't even know. Maybe in New York. Maybe. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll watch John Wick because I figured you would never want to watch John Wick. So I threw it on. But I was very distracted. I was like on my phone and I was just not really paying as much attention as one should. And then I think we watched the first one together at a later time. Yep. And then didn't have interest in continuing. And then this time, (laughs) John Wick 4 is very buzzy right now. And it's very highly rated. Um, And you had... Turned to me so seriously, so seriously. We're in the kitchen and you say, there's really something I'd like us to prioritize. And I'm thinking this is like, like some big conversation that's about to happen about like how we're living our lives or like money or relationship. Yeah. like I, I don't know, but you said it's so serious and like you were worried about how I was going to respond. And then I was like, oh, Yeah. And you're like, I just, I really want to see John Wick 4 in the theater. <laughs> and so we need to watch John Wick 1 to 3. <laughs> Priorities. And I was like, of course, of course, this is about movies. Um, here's the interesting thing. I think it's well known that action movies aren't my first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we really got to the bottom of that in our Star Wars Deep Dive, Mm -hmm. you haven't listened to it. It's a great conversation. Yeah. Star Wars Deep Dive. I think it's Deep Dive number three. Ah. But we also talked about this a little bit. I think it was when we watched Indiana Jones Mm. and kind of like it's not action exclusively I dislike. It's depending on what they're doing with it. Because, I mean, as is evident, I love speed. Um. And this is kind of in that vein. John Wick is kind of in like that cellular, you know, like somebody who they're trying to get out of something, mm-hmm. right? It, get out of a city, get out of a place. Like, and then I am really, I like the closed circuit element of it, even if it's not totally closed circuit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing to me is we watched it the first time and I was like, pass. Yeah. I didn't really like it, but that was a while ago. Yeah. And we have watched so many more movies since then mm. and so many more different types of movies. And I think that my just like visual and genre and movie in general capability, like skill set in watching them has improved. Well, I think too, uh, if I may, I think what, has helped with that too is not only the mystery movie picks uh, just being more open to opportunities of watching films you wouldn't have chosen otherwise but it's also us talking about them and unpacking what it is you don't like or didn't like about action movies or what loses you with these kinds of movies and how you can kind of and and reflecting on these things both through the show but in our personal lives as well and having more open conversations about yeah. these movies. And I'll, I'll add to that, um, following thoughtful people on Letterboxd. We're like mm. hearing mm-hmm. from them. I really do try to follow folks and interact with folks who have something to say when they do or do not like something and they kind of explain it. So I get to, and we talk about this a lot on the show, but I really don't care if I love something you hate or you hate something I love 
I still want to be able to have a conversation about it and understand why you did or did not like it and why I did or did not like it or anything in between. Mm-hmm. And I try and follow people like that on Letterboxd. And then that kind of gets me amped for things. Like I, I got, I was, I was up for watching these because a lot of really thoughtful people that I follow said some really thoughtful things about John Wick four that like primed me for what to expect in it mm-hmm. and what to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so to start to get into it proper, I don't know how I've become this person, but I really like these movies. Yeah, they freaking slap. There's one I, I don't like and I would skip it. So what what's your order of favorite John Wick movies? Okay, let's put into context that I've seen the first one once. Sorry, first twice. one twice. Um, and the other four I've only seen once and we watched them all within less than a week of each other. Well, we watched all four of them within a week. Yeah, four and five days. <laughs> Correct. And then the last one we saw in the theater. So yeah. so there's context involved in it. But as of right now, I like the fourth one best. And then the second one. And then the first one. And I like the third one the least. Interesting. You? Cool. Uh, I'm John Wick one, then four, then two, then three. Different people. Yeah. Different but people. I, we both hard agree on John Wick three parabellum as the last one in talking with folks it seems like that's including like my students yeah it seems that that's the general consensus so i'm glad i'm not totally out to lunch with that and i am of the opinion it's because they added a stupid subtitle to it parabellum (laughs) let's talk about the movies a little bit do you want to talk about them like in order a little bit and then kind of talk about them all together um yeah we could we could do that yeah why don't you why don't you kick us off okay john wick one First time I saw it, thought it was kind of boring. And I think I probably had a bit of a stinky poo-poo attitude, like, ooh, action movies. Um, rewatching it, it's pretty cool. I do think mm-hmm. it has, doesn't have the budget that the rest, and I, and I could be wrong about this, I didn't actually look into it, but it feels in rewatching it that it's not as slick as the other three. Yeah. Like, it's just a little bit more Hallmark version of it in terms of the... um. <laughs> But still like the impressive. quality of the camera, like the like the way it looks on the screen. That's fair. But how exciting is it, though, to see a series level up? Oh, I agree. I'm not mad at it about it. I just think when you watch four and compare it to one, you can tell that they've got more money and probably experience now. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, the action scenes are still quite thrilling and... I can really get into an action scene that feels like choreography. That feels like mm-hmm. dance. Yeah. You know? Um, it's not just like a bunch of bodies in a war on a field gladiator style. Those I'm like boring. But yeah. this where it's like, here's one person trying to make their way through a space. Yeah. I'm trying to get through point A to point B and trying to do it as efficiently as possible. One thing that kind of sucks about this first movie is how prominently big pee pee poo poo sexual assaulter Marilyn Manson is featured in the school in the soundtrack. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think when we saw it the first time, because sadly for me, I was a big Marilyn Manson fan as a teenager and I've seen him in concert twice. Um, I think the first time we saw it, I was like, cool. <laughs> and now I'm like, eh, <laughs> um, Something I like about the John Wick series, period, and I think some people really don't like that about it, is that 
it's just a very simple idea. Mm-hmm. And and then it just goes with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the something that was in, that's interesting to watch from film to film is the shift in like offense to defense for John Wick. Mm. Um, and as it kind of starts off with him going on the offensive, and then as the series goes on, it that that shift kind of it kind of goes back and forth, which is really fun. Um. But yeah, in this first one where it's like he's getting he's tracking down people who killed his dog and took his car. like It's just so I, we were talking about this last night with a couple of friends. Like if there was only one John Wick movie that was ever made and it was the first one, it's a totally awesome action movie mm-hmm. that stands really well on its own. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it introduces this world that's really compelling. It introduces our mainstay characters who are also really compelling uh, as the series goes on, Keanu Reeves just says, says less and less yeah. <laughs> in each of these movies, but he kicks more and more ass. And I mean, I, I'm sure you know this, but he does most of the stunt work. Yeah. Like, I think it's 90% plus. Um, he won't do anything where he gets hit by a car. That makes sense. Um, he, and I think he, and can, he gets hit by a car a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he, there's some like stair stuff he didn't do, I think, in not, I think he did a lot of it, but just not all of it. Yeah. Um, and he says, like, I'm old. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other cool thing, with, which if people don't know it, I think is actually like real neat is that, um, Chad Stahelski. He was Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a full-on stunt guy. And I think he worked on The Crow with Brandon Lee. And he he's spoken a lot um, about how much he learned about filmmaking from being a part of The Matrix and watching The Wachowskis, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool. And you can just see this in every single film, at, at least one, if not more, loving nods to The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is not just about the fact that Keanu is in these movies, but it's it's just like the Matrix is such a behemoth in action that it's just a, a an homage, right? Yeah, well, and and when freaking Lawrence Fishburne showed up, we freaking screamed, <laughs> like, <laughs> "Are you shitting me? Morpheus and Neo are here." Um, couple interesting things. I don't know if this is actually true, but I feel like I had heard this before I was looking at trivia. If it is, it's fucking so funny. Um, IMDb trivia claims that originally they were going to call this movie Scorn, Mm. but that in interviews, Keanu Reeves kept referring to it as John Wick. (laughs) And then the like marketing people were like, you have four to five million in free advertising. If we were to put a money, like put money on that, based on how many times Keanu Reeves has called it John Wick. Mm-hmm. So you should just call it John Wick. <laughs> and, th- and I wonder, do you think it wouldn't have done as well if it was called Scorn? If it wasn't attached to the name of the character? I don't think it would have done as well. Because it that it's like if you just called, I don't know, the Batman Scorn. Yeah. Like you... It's about John Wick. It's about Batman. It's. I think it doesn't lend itself to a series. Yeah. And the name John Wick is real cool. 
I mean, it's dumb cool, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a that's what this whole thing is. Yes. It's like it's it is dumb cool. Yeah, so this is my favorite thing is that Chad Stileski has said like that like I Keanu Reeves is quite involved in these movies. Mm-hmm. Like I like he's a champion of them, he's executive producer, like he'll keep making them, I think, as long as his body lets him. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he'll be involved with them even if he's not in them at a certain point. Totally. Right. Um but I guess the two of them, this is their kind of ethos with these movies. They say, quote, start with something funny, end with something funny, and fill the in-between with as much brutality as they can muster. Check, check, check. Yeah, check. that is absolutely what they do. Um, here's here's a near miss. So I think anyone who's been listening for a while is aware that I well above and beyond any other actor have seen the most movies by Johnny Depp, and I wish that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves, Willem Dafoe, and Samuel L. Jackson are all the closest. Mm -hmm. I guess Johnny Depp was somebody they originally considered for this. That that didn't happen. Uh huh. I also think that that it wouldn't it wouldn't have done. No, I agree as well if it was him. Also, like he's not an action person. No, like you look at his most actiony thing, which could be like Pirates of the Caribbean. He's just kind of. Flitting around. Just yeah, he's flailing from scene to scene. Okay, I have to I have to do a um this may be my favorite one ever of do you find this IMDB trivia interesting or not? Ooh, I love this segment. Okay. <laughs> I genuinely think this is my favorite one I've ever read. Are you ready? Yeah. Elliot, do you find this piece of trivia interesting? Mm-hmm. Quote Ian McShane arrived with his own wardrobe and props. We could probably listen to this guy read a laundry list and he'd probably be great, said Chad Stilhusky. I'd say he probably meant a grocery list, but who knows how Hollywood folks do their laundry. <laughs> that is interesting. So we're, we're going to now be 11 out of 21 found that. 11 out of 22 found that interesting. Yeah, I love that. He's kind of like the Jamie Lee Curtis on everything everywhere of the John Wick movies. <laughs> but like it's the person who wrote the trivia commenting on the fact that Chad Stileski said laundry list instead of grocery list. But people say laundry list. Yeah. So also this person is out to lunch. Well, it's kind of like laundry list. I feel is more associated with like negative things. It's kind of like, let me give you the laundry list of reasons that I have to do this thing. But if, if <laughs> I, if you could listen to somebody read a grocery list and make it interesting, that's, that, make, that makes more sense. So I think he misspoke, but I love the deeper dive <laughs> on the, <laughs> who knows how Hollywood lists. folks do their laundry. <laughs> okay. John Wick two. Yeah. You love this one. I loved it. So like we watched John Wick one and I was like, I like it better than I did the first time. Mm-hmm. And then we watched John Wick two and I was like, I love this. Yeah. I love this. Did you love it? Yeah. Uh, I think that this is definitely a highlight for me in the series. I know I ranked it third of all four of the movies, <laughs> but it is a highlight because it pushes the plot. Yes. So what I liked about it is that it makes the world of John Wick bigger without getting too exposition-y, too convoluted, too specific. Which is what the third does. Big time. I love that it introduces some characters, like Lawrence Fishburne's character I really like. Mm -hmm. Um, Some trivia there. I guess that Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne meet up and hang out a couple times a year, which is very cute. Cute as hell. Makes me really happy. Um, and it seems like this is kind of the common thing that has happened with John Wick movies is people are just like tell 
the director or Keanu Reeves like, hey, I really like John Wick movies. Um, so they were hanging out at one of their little couple times a year hangout. And Lawrence Fishburne was like, hey, Keanu, I really like the John Wick movie. And I can play. <laughs> and so Keanu was like, cool. So they sent him a script for the second one. That very same day, he contacted them and said, I'm in fish. <laughs> like picked his own character and everything that's sick um i love that because didn't common kind of do that too yeah yeah just like there's so many people who like it just you read the trivia and it's like they just said hey we love the john wick movies can i be in one of them but i think that's so cool that it it's just kind of this fun sandbox where people can come and it's respectful and it's fun and people respect the art and the craft that's going into it. Uh, and like a big conversation that had been seen online and I am totally here for it after seeing, especially after seeing John Wick four is how, you know, award Oscars being bullshit and all aside. I think that adding a stunt category into the Oscars would shine such a good light on the work that stunt people are doing. I mean, look at what, was happening even in everything everywhere all at once. I feel like that would have been nominated had it been a category this year and the shit they're doing in John, in the John wick series and especially in John wick four, um, just cause it's so top of mind. hundred percent. And this is something I think going back to all the way back to the matrix, Keanu Reeves has had like a deep respect for his stunt people and like mm-hmm. the whole stunt cast. Like I, I there's stories of, him buying watches or something for every stunt person mm. um motorcycles i don't know there's all this stuff but they do a lot of things in the john wick series to reuse stunt people so in the first one it was um they use different facial hair so they had people with like long beards killed in the first act and then it's the same stunt people later on but they're <laughs> barefaced um and then you can tell in like two three and four they're doing things with helmets masks um, so that the same stunt people can be used. Um, so I can't remember which movie it was, but one of them, Keanu Reeves had t-shirts made for every stunt double with how many times they died. That's great. So it was like, I died seven times or something. <laughs> um, but you can just tell that he has a respect for what they're doing mm-hmm. and an appreciation for what they add to the film. Mm-hmm. I could not do it. Well, it's so funny cause I have so much respect for it, but so much, I'm kind of jumping to like actors that do their own stunts or the majority of their own stunts. And it's so, I have so much respect for it, but so depends from person to person on how I feel about it. Like I know that Tom Cruise is really doing a lot of impressive, notable stunt work on his own, but it's Tom Cruise. I don't really love Tom Cruise, but I love Keanu and I think that it's incredible that, He's doing it, but also lifting up the people around yeah. him that are allowing him to do it and helping him do it and supporting him when he can't or shouldn't do it. Um, yeah. To move into John Wick 3, I feel like John Wick 3 tried to up the stakes of the world that John Wick 2 had enlarged, and it didn't work for me. Yeah, I, I keep saying that it kind of crawled up its own butt because it it thought it was trying to be something really big and it just needed to, it just needed to cool it a little bit. Yeah. And I, and I didn't like any of the new characters they introduced. Like I didn't like the adjudicator Mm -hmm. and like clearly the adjudicator is not that interesting of a character because we don't see them again in four. Right. So how important is a character like the adjudicator if we only see them once? 
and it starts breaking some of the like characterization that has was set up and some and it changes it makes decisions for some of our characters that to this point have been set up they would they wouldn't have done yeah and it's like what are we doing here yeah it just that one that one felt too convoluted it there were some really cool non-gun things in it which i appreciate yeah um but i do feel like i would rewatch one two and four a lot and i mm-hmm. would not watch three a lot yeah like if we did another binge of all the john wick movies i just skip three or just like watch like a youtube best of yeah yeah let's talk about four holy shit this movie was lit it lived up to if not surpassed the hype yeah three hours and i am picky about the length of movies if they're long they better be worth it and they better justify that runtime that three hours went by so fast yeah uh did not feel the runtime it was really it was really impressive it had some of the best action sequences in the whole series stylish super stylish the locations we went to were some of the most interesting that we've seen in the series the new characters loved them. The new characters were great. Like I, I have a feeling John Wick is trying to become Star Wars and MCU and like because we know they're making this prequel movie called Ballerina. Mm-hmm. Um and it it did feel like some of these characters are being set up to potentially be in their own films. Mm-hmm. Or like I wouldn't be surprised if some of this makes a jump to TV. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe eventually I'll be mad about it. But right now, I don't even care. I'm like, I... So they introduced these three new characters, Akira, Tracker, and Kane. I would watch a series about any of them. Well, something that's interesting is I feel like they knew that they had kind of struck gold with the characters, these characters introduced in John Wick 4 because that's who they're kind of saying... That's who they're kind of gave more moments to shine and more moments to be like, oh, they could have their own spinoff series or yeah. they could have their own show or whatever or their own movie. And comparing that to three with like Halle Berry's character or that character of the adjudicator or whatever, like I don't, I'm not interested in watching a whole series about any yeah. of them. Um, these ones were all super cool. Also a lot of really cool non-gun stuff, which I always get excited for. Yeah. Um, but not only was John Wick whipping ass in this movie, but Kylie was whipping ass in the movie theater. Oh man, let's let's tell this story because it was. I thought it was badass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you've listened any time other than this episode, you know that I'm really I'm really cheesed off with the end of cinema etiquette. Like, if you're paying to see a movie then the social contract should dictate that you're coming to sit and quietly watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do that, don't go to the movies. Watch it at Break home. Off. Um, so it was a very busy theater. Yeah, it was like a Wednesday 8 p.m. showing. And John Wick's been out for a little bit. Yeah. But it was it was quite full. And we were there with two friends as well. So this makes things a little bit more complicated because as we will often do, if someone near us is being distracting, is we'll just move to another spot. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's really hard to do if the theater's full and even harder to do if you have other people with you. So yeah. to try and find four people a new spot in a basically sold out theater is impossible. That has reserved seats so you run the risk of sitting in a latecomer's spot. Yeah. So we're watching the movie and 
this couple, I, I'm assuming a couple, they were holding hands, um, come in 10 minutes late. Yeah, that's strike one. Strike one. And then they proceed to both be on their phones. Strike two. And not just like a quick look at their phone, like on their phones, like scrolling their phones. Um, and then they're having full on extended full volume conversations. Strike three. They're fucking out. And we're like 20, 30 minutes into the movie. And I'm like, I this is a three hour movie. And I really want to enjoy it. And I cannot focus. Mm-hmm. So I leaned over to you and I said, I'm going to say something. I was like, oh, damn. And like we're in the recliner seats. I unreclined my seat. <laughs> yeah. I got up and I went and stood between the two of them and I leaned in and I said, can you please be quiet? I am trying to watch the movie. <laughs> you got teacher voice. Yeah. Like when you need to lay down the law with students, this was the voice you got on. Yeah. I could, and I couldn't really hear you because I was kind of off. Could to the you side. see it? Oh, I saw it. <laughs> I was like, get him, get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they were, they were quiet. They seemed really ashamed. Yeah. Like when I said that, they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then I and then I added, and if you could also stay off your phones, that would be great. So I, I did a double whammy. Boom, boom. It's oh, <laughs> law and order. <laughs> um, that, that always, that I appreciate that they're recognizing it, but there's a part of that that frustrates me of when it's met, you say something and the reaction is surprise. Of like, oh, me talking at full volume and being on my phone was distracting. I agree. So sorry. But Oops. I also think we've, at least me, um, anecdotally, I will say, as both a teacher and a human being out in the world, feels like we've lost social etic- etiquette across the board. Mm-hmm. Like, I see it in my classroom. I see it in the hallways. I see it at the mall. I see it in the movie theater. I see it at restaurants. Like... And so I think some people just need to be reminded. Like I think through COVID and, you know, people, I think a, we, we didn't, we were just like not places. Like we weren't at places. And Mm -hmm. so I think sometimes there's like a shock of like people are acting like this and you don't even know what to say. Um, Like, it's like we lost this passing of the torch of like, no, we all know you don't use your phone in the theater. And so somebody will say something. It's just like, because there was like two years where no one went to the theater. It's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> What's that person doing? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they just need me to remind them, well, here's the thing though. They didn't even stay. They left like half an hour before the movie was done. Like when we were getting into like the kicking into high gear, final action sequence, they left. They cheesed it. So I'm like, they didn't care about the movie. And that is so, that just adds to my frustration just because you came in 10 minutes late. You were dinks. We had to tell you you were dinks. And then you leave before, before the, the movie's, movie's even done. Like you didn't give a shit about being here. Well, not, so I know you're saying it's badass that I did this. It was really hard to do it. Like I was, I did, I, I, I said, and I'm not joking. I felt like I was going to puke. No, I get, I, I totally get it because I, <laughs> me working up the courage to do it. Like I, I freaking, I hate confrontation. I'm so bad at it. And I, I get so in my head about what I'm going to say. And it's, I'm probably going to flub it and fuck it up. And if and if they fire back at me, I'm just going to crumble into a million pieces. But I had a whole plan. I was like, I'm going to say something. If they respond negatively, then I'm going to go to the, the I'm going to leave the theater and tell someone. Right. I'm going to say there are people talking and on their phone. And I asked them nicely if they would stop and they, whatever, whatever they did. Right. Right. Um, 
Then I had, what if they respond well, but then continue to do it? Mm-hmm. So I was like, if they respond well, but then after 20 minutes, they start talking again, I'll remind them again. I'll say, hey, remember when I asked you to stop doing that? Yeah. And then if it continues, I'll go to the front of the house and I'll say, there's people on their phones. I've asked them twice to stop. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Right. Um, the, I'll just say, though, I think it's really I'm grateful that you did this. And I think it's great that you came up with a game plan. Sucks that that's what's going through your head while you're trying to enjoy. this. Oh, movie. the first 20 minutes of the movie, I basically didn't enjoy because I was like. I was angry at like I was just like so pulled out of it by them and then I was angry at them and then I was like working up the courage to say something to them and then I was formulating this plan of like what am I going to say and what am I going to do and what are the different ways I mean I have anxiety right so like what are the different scenarios of how this could go what are all of the different (laughs) ways that this could go down yeah yeah um but what I will say is I felt the fear and I did it anyway and it went pretty well like Mm -hmm. they shut up the one guy would like quickly check his phone and then like put it away in shame, like just like look at it and put it away. But he wasn't like scrolling on it. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really talk anymore extendedly. You said like they whispered a couple things to each other here or there, but it wasn't like big whispered. Yeah. And, yeah. and it wasn't big, long conversations. Yeah. So it worked, which mm-hmm. gives me the courage to do it again. Yeah. Right. To just be like, no, like I and I don't think I was mean about it, but I was firm about it. Mm hmm. You are talking and I am trying to watch a movie. Can you stop? Mm-hmm. And then I told a bunch of my students and they were all proud of me. And then one of them was like, wait, you're not allowed to use your phone in the theater. And then we were all like, no, Ooh. it's so <laughs> r-. like the students did it for me. They're like, no, you can't. That's so rude. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> dingus. So the moral of the story, um, tell people because I, I have to believe that we were not the only people that they were disrupting mm-hmm. and that other people were thankful that I said something. Yeah. We can get back to the cinema social contract that we had pre cell phone, pre pandemic. Well, and, and I know that we're really, we're really branching out of John wick here. So this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then we can talk about John wick again. Um, I wrote about that in my letterbox review and um, her name's Heather. She's the, pr- the programmer for Metro cinema like such a celebrity she commented on my post for not a metro movie she said something that i thought was really beautiful and i think i'm going to use this language and and i might even use this language in my like classes um because i ask my students not to have their cell phones in class like they can have them but not use them them. Yeah. yeah um she said we need to remind people that putting away your phone for 90 to 180 minutes to experience a movie is a form of self-care so talking about it as like a gift to yourself of like a cell phone cell phone free space mm-hmm. and that is kind of how i've tried to talk to my students about it like 85 minutes where like you're not constantly available to somebody like just put your phone away and engage in class and it reminded me of why i liked escape rooms for so long mm-hmm. and a big part of it was everyone had to put their phone away yeah. You were required to lock it away before you entered the room. And it was just an hour of doing a task together with no one checking a phone. Yeah. And we don't have any friends who check their phones at the movie theater. Yeah. Thank, thank, thank the Lord. And On if, this Easter weekend. And if we did. <laughs> we, we wouldn't be going to the movies with them. We'd be calling them. But on. I really liked that language of self-care. I thought that was cool. So, so thank you. Yeah. It's, it is funny because definitely a part of the, the price of admission 
is the opportunity to get to put our phones away and not worry about anything else that's going on. In the movies? Yeah. Or yeah. in escape rooms. But like whatever these whatever was... these experiences are that allow us and force us to do this and to engage in something, engage with each other. Uh, I'm grateful for that shit. And I, I think that we need to have these spaces and have people respect these spaces and fully commit yeah. to being a part of these spaces. And I try to do that at home even when I, like I know if my phone is near me and it's just me and you, I'm more likely to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to like, if we're going to go downstairs and watch TV or we're going to watch a movie, I try to just like leave my phone upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. Like there's this, this weekend, even we were, we went to a movie in the afternoon and before we went into the theater, we'd been texting with some friends about hanging out that evening. And then when we got out of the theater, there was like three texts being like, Hey, be dead. Like, <laughs> does this work? Sorry. I don't want to put pressure on you, but like, does this time work? I'm just trying to plan the evening. And, neither of us had seen it because we put our phones away mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like that's okay. It's okay that we didn't get back to that person right away. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be immediately available all of the time. No. And then I said, I'm like, sorry, we were in a movie and they were like, ah, I thought so. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I haven't heard back. Like and we've had that a couple of times. We're literally like group chats and we're not responding in them. And then someone will say, yeah, they're probably watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't need to be available all the time. Okay, but back to John Wick. I, I will also say you kind of not being able to enjoy the first 20 minutes. Very happy to say that us going on this John Wick journey and kind of telling people that that's what we've been doing has brought a lot of John Wick loving friends out of the woodwork yeah. that, that we have. And hearing that we're all surprising each other with being like, oh, you love John Wick? Yeah. I love John Wick. Um, but we're going to go see John Wick 4 in the theater again with some, fr- <laughs> some friends. That- Maybe twice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fucking here for it. John and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that either of these friends love John. And it was so funny because yeah, I was having coffee with one of my close friends the other day. And I was like, yeah, we watched all the John Wick movies this week. And she goes, you watched all <laughs> the, and she's like, I love John Wick. And now we might go for her birthday. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple more things about John Wick four. Mm-hmm. So I thought the set pieces in Japan and France were awesome. Yeah. Like I liked the setting a lot. Yeah, like I said, this was definitely some of the most exciting locations of the entire John Wick series. I'm really sad that Lance Reddick has died in real life. Yeah, his character of Sharon played such a small role in all these films, but it was felt through all of these films. So there's an interview with him where he said something that I think you're going to really... Can you make me cry right now? I don't know if it'll make you cry, but I think you're going to really like it. Okay. Um, so Lance Reddick said that he saw the character of Sharon as equivalent to Alfred from Batman. Mm. Um, and he phrased it as the unsung guy behind the scenes who keeps everything running smoothly. And that feels very accurate. Yeah. Now, something I don't know if you know, um, prior to his death, he had filmed some scenes for that ballerina movie. Mm. So that, like uh, John Wick 4 will not be the la- last time that Lance Reddick is seen on screen as Sharon. Um, but he obviously will not be able to be in anymore. Yeah. And he was he was my fucking favorite character for sure. Yeah. And like I, I think that's really powerful for him to be a favorite and not have nearly the, the kind of screen time that Keanu Reeves or uh, even Winston 
uh, played by Ian McShane had, but you just, he would be on screen and you'd have so much respect for him as a character mm-hmm. and where he's coming from. Yeah, Alfred is a really great comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought you would like that. Yeah, I do. Um, I want to talk about the Baba Yaga of it all. <laughs> yes. It's so dumb. Oh, I love it. But so I love much. it so much. Yeah. Like, especially because Baba Yaga doesn't fit at all, if you know anything about Baba Yaga in real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just every time someone goes, Baba Yaga. There's something that I, I love that is just inherent in all of these movies of there's there's usually some sort of sequence where someone is talking about John Wick, just like the legend of John Wick. Of just like, oh, you've woken the beast, you've poked the bear, kind of thing. <laughs> and just, I, I love it. That that's like the tagline for all these movies. It's like John Wick. It's dumb, but I love it. <laughs> so this, so this is great. So this is something that Chad Stah- Stahelski said um, in an interview about the fourth movie, mm-hmm. and I, I really love it. So he said it's a long, it's a long quote, but. It's a good one. So he said, quote, you read reviews of how ridiculous John Wick is or how extreme or how hyper real. We know we're very self-aware. So when I throw somebody down, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six sets of stairs, I'm letting I'm letting everyone know we're with you guys. We're in on the gag. That's why we don't shoot 10 people. We shoot 400 people. We want you to know we're making fun of the genre. We're making fun of ourselves. Sit back. Have a laugh. If you get some themes out of it and if you love some of the characters, sit back and enjoy. I fucking love that. Yeah. Like it, it It just knows what it is and there's so much power in that and he knows where to find the enjoyment for his audience. Yeah. And that's the vibe I get from everybody working on these movies and yeah. the fact that people want to be a part of these movies. Like we're having fun and like, okay, call our movie dumb. We know it is. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> like, like I said, it is a sandbox that is fun to play in and i i'm i'm so happy to have just dove in and have gotten all of that from this so i had a really funny thought when we were watching the fourth one that it reminded me of playing the simpsons arcade game (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get that which i love i love that game we got to play it when we were at propeller arcade in halifax this summer Mm -hmm. um i used to play it a lot at red robin's Mm-hmm. When I was a kid R- with my family, R.I.P. <laughs> Red Robins. Um, and it was perfect because four kids and I think there's four players, right? Because you can be Homer, Marge, Lisa and Bart. Um, but just that like you're walking down the street and you're just having to like fight people off. It's just like everywhere you go, someone jumps out of the side street. I'm like, I could be John Wick. I've been Lisa Simpson. <laughs> um. The other thing I needed to tell you is I want to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. Yeah. Every time I watch a piece of media with someone who like, so hunger games, not, we need to talk about Kevin last of us, last of us. Yeah. Any, or I play a video game where I get to, I'm like, I want to do it. Like, how do you get real good at bow and arrow? I'm sure there's like archery places in the city. Like, I think it's really cool and I want to be able to do it. I've only done it once. I did it in school did it in school yeah 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 yeah. in gym class what that's sick and i was like not that bad at it uh, no i went out target shooting once it's hard you gotta you gotta really yoink on that string but i want to learn how to do it 
That's cool. We have a friend who's really into bow and arrow, so. We? Yeah, Perry. Oh, I didn't know that. He has a bow and arrow. That's cool. I'll ask him to teach me. Yeah. Or like, yeah, maybe there's, we should, we should dig into this. Cause yeah. I'd, be, I'd go with you. Cool. I'd go Okay. Alone. We should bow and arrow. I have to say one last thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what my least favorite part of the John Wick movies is? <sighs> hmm. That's well, not Keanu Reeves' butt. <laughs> no. Um, Want me to tell you? Yeah. It is Square Sans Serif 7 font. That is my least favorite part of the John Wick movies. Yeah, they <laughs> they they do some fancy things with the uh, subtitles in this film. And every time it happens. It is specifically I can, Square Sans Serif 7 font in color. That's I, my least favorite thing about it. Every time movies. that a subtitle that they give a little flourish to in that font happens, I don't even need to look at you. I can feel the eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like the one dumb part of it that I think is too dumb, but I'll let it slide. I'll let yeah. it slide. Like, <laughs> yeah, John Wick just like carving his way through like 400 guys. Believable. <laughs> Having- Subtitles in the color red that disappear. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think if we were doing a deep dive on this, I would want to have some conversations about my own complicated feelings about gun violence um and watching gun violence yeah but this feels so much like a video game it's very video gamey um and so i would like to put out there that i have complicated feelings about gun violence and about guns and about watching things with gun violence um and that that conversation is for a deep dive at some point yeah Uh, would you listen to a john wick deep dive i'm not asking you Elliot. Uh, (laughs) no no let us know though yeah if you would be interested in a john wick deep dive of a specific one or all four of them put together like we did with Star Wars, let us know. We'll do it. Yeah. Um, I think for me, where I'll kind of leave things is that this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed watching all of these movies with you. And I think that something I'm going to take away from this is I really loved watching as we watched more and more movies in this series, just watching you and your response to them kind of shift and change over time. Cause I think when we started, even in John wick two, I was still very kind of, I would hit these moments where I'm just like, is Kylie enjoying this? Is she, is she sick of this long action sequence? But then it would happen. Then you turn to me and be like, that was freaking sick. <laughs> so I just, I loved, like, I don't, and I don't think that you would have had that resp- that response like five years ago. I've grown. What can I say? I, I, I think that's really. I've grown into an action action movie dum dum. I think it's cool, and we've had <laughs> action movie dum dum, and we've had some conversations too. Like after watching all these movies, of just like we're not going to start necessarily watching a bunch of action movies, but we're more open to exploring the good ones, good action movies. Yeah. I also think it's just been really fun. Like, there's like a chem. It's how I sometimes feel about horror movies where like the people who love them, there's a real like camaraderie mm-hmm. and community around it about around like, oh, this really exciting like new horror movie that's come out and having those conversations with friends who are like, I love the John Wick movies. Mm-hmm. And like we went to the fourth one with two friends who like, yeah, I had no idea they loved them. And then all of a sudden we're just like texting back and forth about how awesome they are. Mm-hmm. And, and then we went and saw it together and uh Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. Is is really great. 
Um, also, copyright us, but they could totally make a White Lotus style continental anthology show. This was my idea. I'd like to be clear, yeah, but it is copyright. It's bad copyright. Dad, bad, dad. bad dad, red dad. Um, how did the John Wick series make you feel? From film one to film film four, thrilled at the spectacle of it all. Hell yeah. Uh, for me, film one to film four, impressed and excited as hell by these slappers. What a feat. <laughs> like F-E-E-T? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go somewhere else friggin' ridiculous. We saw the f- most ridiculous film. We saw Smoking Causes Coughing, a 2022 comedy horror sci-fi film directed and written by Quentin Dupieux and starring Gilles Lelouch as Benzine, Vincent Lacoste as Menthol, Menthol, <laughs> Menthol. I think it is Menthol. Um, Anne Demoustier as Nicotine, uh, Jean Pascal Zadi as Mercure, and Ulia Amamra as Ammoniac. Ammonia. Ammonia. <laughs> uh, the synopsis A group of vigilantes called the Tobacco Force is falling apart. To rebuild Team Spirit, their leaders suggest that they meet for a week long retreat before returning <laughs> to save the world. <laughs> Oh my goodness, what did you think of smoking causes coughing? Oh man. So I mean, it's so French, it's so dumb and so fun. Uh it hooked me from the opening scene. Uh just reveling in the ridiculousness that is this film. And it, it hit me on even though this is a very adult type of this, but I grew up watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and I absolutely loved it. I thought they were boring. Um, one birthday of mine, I wanted all of the uh, action figure, like Barbie sized action figures, Whoa. which were really hard to come by. Not, but especially the red one. The red Ranger was really tough to get a hold of. My parents got me all of them. Where are I'm they? Spoiled. Uh, I think they're in a box in the. Whoa! In who the who was your favorite Power Ranger? The red one. Uh, who was your favorite Tobacco Force? Oh. Um. Who the the one with like the bob? Oh, nicotine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it this film captured the action and the ridiculousness that existed in Power Rangers and shows like that. Um, and just kind of cranked it to eleven. But then it's like mixed with "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Yeah, it's wild. So like a lot of this movie is when they go on their little retreat. They're like all trying to tell the scariest story, and I think there's. Are there four? There's four. Like one is very, very short and very yeah. funny and a little girl tells it. Yeah. yeah. And then there's. Oh, maybe just three. three I think. Yeah, there's just three. Um, and two of them are longer. Those were two of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. And I didn't expect the movie to go there. No. But it's it's great. As a 90s kid that grew up watching yeah, like Power Rangers. Yeah, like freaky stories. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Are You Afraid of the Dark? Goosebumps. Like. I would fully watch a TV show of the tobacco force sitting around and trying to tell the scariest story. But like the thing about this is it's, it is quite gory, but for laughs, like it's, mm-hmm. it's funny, gory. It's apparently um the film psycho Gorman mm-hmm. is, is like in the vein of this. Mm, I want to, I really want to see that movie. Yeah. Um, it was like, this movie was just, it was just a blast. Yeah. But it is exactly my kind of humor. Yeah. Like there's this, they're, they're, I mean, what would you call him? Their boss? Yeah. Like the, the leader. The leader is whatever. like a puppet 
rat? That's like always drooling, like gross. Green goo? Goo. <laughs> it's so gross. Um, but it is it is my kind of humor. And what was really fun is the whole audience was just like in on that. Like it was a very mm-hmm. rambunctious in the right way kind of audience where like everybody was laughing together and mm-hmm. kind of like being like, oh my God, like together, but but nobody was being disrespectful of the space or the experience. Um, and that was quite fun. Yeah. It it's just it knows what it's doing and it's not afraid to push its push the sillies. It's definitely one that as we were driving home, I was like, I love that. That was so fun. I would watch it again. Yeah. I'd um like and to it'd watch be it again. one that'd be fun to show other people. But I'm like, my mom would think that was the dumbest thing ever. Oh, she yeah. would just been like, that was stupid. Yeah. I can totally see this just not being so many people's jam, but it's it's ours. Did it make you interested in watching any of Quentin Dupieux's other films? I I I didn't do my homework and look at. He has all a lot. Of his he has a lot. Of oh, really? Movies, the yeah. only one I know of is Rubber, and that was one that. And that's uh, an, I started and kind of wrote off. That's a long in time English, ago. right? I, I honestly can't even remember. I think most of his films are in French, and I don't know. I'm like, I liked this. I'd I'd check out some other ones. Yeah, it seems. I mean, if this is any indication, this guy just loves to have silly fun. It was a blast. Yeah. There's really not much more to say about it. No, it's it's a gory, gross, hilarious, ridiculous romp. Yeah. Yeah. How'd it make you feel? Happy to revel in the nonsense. How'd it make you feel? Made me entertained by the bonkers humor. Yeah. Bonkers. Yes. Okay. For the next film, we got to take our little four-year-old niece to another movie. But this is, I mean... <laughs> this was an experiment. Oh, big time. So we got to go back to Metro. Um, where Previously, we had taken her to see Paddington. With her dad. With her dad. But this time, we took her to see a movie with her mom. And we went to revisit the 1940 animation family fantasy film, Fantasia. Oh, sorry, Fantasia. <laughs> um. It was written and directed by everyone. <laughs> There's so many names on this thing. It stars a bunch of people. I didn't write down any of these. Okay, people. I've got a couple I would like to. There, there's so many. I didn't know no, who to give like, precedence to. Okay, so there's two people who did the story direction. Okay. For everything, and that's Joe Grant and Dick Humer. Dick Humer. Dick Humer. Dick Humer. <laughs> um, and I think the one person to maybe... Uh, stop on for starring would be Leopold Sikowski, who does all of the conductor right. stuff and, and like does most of the speaking in the film. But otherwise, yes, there are a whole, there's a shit ton of people who directed this, a shit ton of people who wrote it and a bunch of people in like the orchestra. So just go to IMDb. Good on y'all. Um, I don't think any of them are alive. Well, RIP. I mean, I just like, they're not going to care. Uh, well, then rest in whatever then. No, I mean, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, synopsis. A collection of animated interpretations of great works of Western classical music, ranging from the abstract to depictions of mythology and fantasy, and settings including prehistoric, supernatural, and sacred. Who takes a four-year-old to this? <laughs> <laughs> a collection of animated interpretations of great works of Western classical music, ranging from the abstract that is not a log line for a toddler. Yeah, this is what I'm going to sell to my four and a half year old niece. <laughs> is it you into it? 
this is what they thought they were into in the 1940s. They're like, fucking kids are going to eat this up. Um, so yeah, we went out, rewatched Fantasia. What'd you think of it? So I'll start with, um, I did not remember that there's no, like, it's just music. Yeah. And the only speaking is the conductor. How we ended up taking my niece to this is I have to tell a little bit of a history of Fantasia. So I have two older sisters and a younger brother, but my second oldest sister, Britt, her and I are three years apart. She's three years older than me. And we watched Fantasia, just the two of us, a lot as kids. We didn't always play together, but this was one of the things we got along and did together. And that was, we also did this with The Lion King. We liked to put things on the screen and then like act act them out or dance around to them. So we would do that with the Lion King and she would be Scar and I would be all of the hyenas and like the couch would be like the thing he's standing on and you know, whatever. But we did that with Fantasia a lot where we just put it on in the background and then like for the songs we liked, we'd like stop playing with our, whatever we were playing with like Barbies and Lion King McDonald's toys and get up and dance around the couch. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would fast forward through parts we thought were boring and, so on and so forth. So when I saw that Metro was playing this, I texted her and I didn't know. I do that a lot. If I see a movie that like my family liked, I'll just like put it in the group chat. Mm-hmm. This one I just texted to her, not to the group chat. And she said, I'm putting it in my calendar. We're taking Remy. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So one thing I thought was very great of her as a parent is like right before the movie started, she leaned in and she said, okay, so there's just music. There's no talking, but there's a bunch of cartoons dancing. You're going to love it. Mm-hmm. And she like, so she made her daughter aware of what the film was going to be like, but also like in a way that emphasized what's cool about it. Now, before we start talking about what our niece thought of it, cause there's some fun stuff to say. Yes. This was actually so fucking cool on the big screen. Yeah. Like, I don't think we would have gone if we didn't go with her. And I think we would have been missing out. I agree because unlike you, I don't really have much of a history with this movie. Uh, Like I owned it growing up and I watched it. I feel like I watched it less than a handful of times. And, you know, I remember the hits. Like I remember Sorcerer's Apprentice and I remember the ending bit with the devil. Uh, And I I remember like the hippo animal stuff, but it, it, none of it's like core memories. (laughs) It's all very just kind of passively watching when I was younger. Um, so I didn't remember it super well and I was concerned that this was going to be a tough sit once I was like, this is two hours long. <laughs> it is very long. Um, and like not just a tough sit for me, but also for our, for our niece um, and, and for you and, and uh, my sister-in-law. But yeah, it was very impressive. Um, and-, and like impressive on the big screen, like just with the music being so grand and the visuals are like, so beautiful very cool but it got me thinking they're not making stuff like this today no i mean i actually when we went away from it i was like i'm really glad that our niece saw this because i think this movie and seeing it on the big screen too is like an exercise in teaching how to experience art mm-hmm. like it's classical music it's image based art so it'd be like going to an art gallery and it's interpretive art Mm -hmm. Right. Like this is and yet it is like there is things that are geared towards kids in it. Like I think definitely the Greek mythology section and the like 
dancing animals section are, are pretty little kiddish. Mm-hmm. Even the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a great starting point for learning how to engage with art yeah. and with art that isn't all about like dopamine. <laughs> yes. Right? That isn't minions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that like you can't engage with that stuff, but I, about like it, just starting young with getting her away from being like, this is boring, mm-hmm. you know, and it's totally okay to think things are boring but to dismiss them as boring before you attempt to engage with them, I think is a shame. Well, and like, I don't know shit about shit about parenting, but <laughs> I think what you said about your sister prefacing the movie and not using words like boring or long or mm-hmm. anything like that, it allowed our niece Remy to formulate her own opinion of the movie after the fact, but also primed her going in to be open to the experience. And I think yeah. that that was... That was the key to success. And I think that's the key to success with allowing young people to enjoy anything is not putting is not putting a negative spin on it from the from like right out of the gate or to allowing them to be open to opportunity and experience. So how would you describe how she engaged with and enjoyed the movie? It was honestly, I was so impressed. I remarked on it multiple times on the way home. I'm like, I can't believe Remy just sat through that movie like a champ. Cause I don't think I would have as a kid. Like she was so engaged by each piece. Um, she would ask questions of her mom, but she was like leaning forward if bits that were exciting to her. She'd like clench her fists and just like <laughs> <laughs> shake them. And she, yeah, she sat through the whole thing. Like she wasn't big shifty wanting to stand up and run around or anything like she's a, She's going to be our movie-going niece. And oh, yeah. She, and she likes creepy stuff. Oh, yeah. She re- And so I think that she's going to be the one that we watch horror movies with. <laughs> one of my favorite parts was, um, so Disney has, since this movie came out, and up until this day, they get, like, complaints about that final scene. And how much, it's called Night on Bald Mountain and how much it scares kids. And it's freaking scared me as a kid. So right before it was about to start, again, expert parenting from from my from our sister she leans in and says to, to her to her daughter okay this part's scary but you're gonna love it and then uh remy our niece leaned back and said is home alone a little bit scary because she loves home alone and my sister said yeah I like home alone and at the end of the movie we asked her like what were your favorite parts of the movie and she said the dinosaur part and the scary part with the ghosts mm-hmm. like that was those were her two favorite parts so I think rather than being like, oh, this is scary. If you're scared, we can leave. Mm-hmm. Just being like, it's scary and you're going to love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, was, and she did. She loved it. Um, what was your favorite part of watching it with her? This is maybe the best way of reviewing a film <laughs> that I've ever seen is we got to the end of the movie. It was like kind of the final moments, the like closing shot of the film. And unprompted, our niece blew a kiss to the screen and then turned to us and said, for the movie. (laughs) It was awesome. It was was so cool. It was the purest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And I also, so I asked her afterwards, I said, what did you think? And she said, good. And then I said, would you watch it again? No, too long. And I love that simultaneous four years old, her ability to be like, it was a really good movie, but I wouldn't watch it again. (laughs) Yes. Like that ability to separate 
I wouldn't watch it again from that means it's bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was so fun. It was really great. I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed watching her watch it, but I also enjoyed it for myself. I thought the conductor was hilarious. And like, I liked all the bits with him. What are your favorite parts of it? Uh, I, I, I really love actually like all the pieces of the conductor from the back. Mm. Um, and they always throw really cool lights uh, on him to kind of like highlight his silhouette with color. Uh, I thought that was really sick. Um, but yeah, I, I think that some of the more abstract pieces that just deal with color and abstract shapes and stuff, I thought that stuff was really cool. I thought the kind of evolution piece that goes from uh, like... Protozoa? No, it goes from like Big Bang. Yeah, through to like dinosaurs. That was amazing. Sorcerer's Apprentice, of course. It's classic and still slaps. Yeah. Um, the Yeah, the Bald Mountain, still great. Yeah. Oh, a big highlight for me was uh, originally they've, they built in an intermission in this film. <laughs> so there's like a sequence where they kind of throw a title card up on screen. I loved the layout and the type. And there's, the no, there's no credits in this movie. That's the only... Like the movie that is done and the curtains close. Yeah. So our niece blew a kiss and then the curtains close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Um, I also really like, so as a kid, I really liked the seasons one. It's almost like Portobello Road of Fantasia. Like it's <laughs> a bunch of potentially stereotypically leaning into racist um, depictions of plants doing like a Russian dance and an Asian dance. And, yeah. uh, but I really liked that as a kid. And then I really liked, um, I think I really liked the Greek mythology one as a kid this time around. I really liked that initial abstract one. Yeah. That's just like shapes and colors and to go along with the music. I also really liked the, the story of life, like the, from the beginning of time to the end of the dinosaurs. And then I, I really love Bald Mountain. Mm-hmm. I think it's gorgeous. I think the whole thing, the animation is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, now, something that I think we'd be remiss to not talk about is that the original version had, um, during the Greek mythology scene, some incredibly awful um, centaur characters who are racial stereotypes mm-hmm. that have since been removed from the print. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they weren't in there. Um, they were removed in 1960. Uh, so there's four shots that were either removed entirely or they zoomed them in to take those characters out. Um, Roger Ebert said, the more I, the more things I hear him say, the more I'm like, I think we would have been buddies. Um, Roger Ebert said this and I, and I really like it. He said, while the original film should of course be preserved for historical purposes, there is no need for the general release version to perpetrate racist racial stereotypes in a film designed primarily for children. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked that idea because I think this gets talked about a lot. If we remove racist or hateful things from famous works of art, then are we erasing the past? Mm-hmm. I liked the idea here that an original version of it should be kept somewhere like a museum mm-hmm. or an archive for historical purposes to document the racism. And to document the original piece of work. But that shouldn't be in the things that young kids are still seeing for the first time. I don't want my four-year-old niece to see that. Yeah. And I, I, re- I just, I really liked the way he said it, that we should keep it for historical purposes, but that doesn't mean it should be the the one that continues to be available 
to people to for people to engage with. Yeah. Man. MVP. That's good. Yeah. Cool guy. Cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. This was uh this friggin' fun. Yeah. And and just experiencing it with our niece. Our niece is cool as shit. Like the movies she's watching right now at home on repeat are like Home Alone, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, and Beethoven. I love that our sister-in-law is just like fully committed to making this kid born during the pandemic a 90s kid. <laughs> well, she also, so our niece friggin' loves dinosaurs. Like her birthday party was dinosaur themed this year. And my sister made this like sick cake Yes, of like the layers of the earth. <laughs> and then on the outside, she had like chocolate molds of fossils. Mm-hmm. And then there was a volcano on top of it. It was sick. Um, your sister is very artful in that she transitioned from being very creative and good in Microsoft Paint. To, I forgot about her Microsoft Paint. Yes. To now being doing it with to, baking. To now translating all of that into baking. But during like the dinosaur part, um, I asked our niece like what her favorite dinosaur is, and she said T Rex. Or it might have been when the movie was over. I, I can't remember. And then I said, What do you like about them? And she goes, Eat people. <laughs> And so I asked uh, our sister slash sister-in-law. We are not brother and sister, you and I. Um, that would be gross. I asked her, do you think Remy's like too young for Jurassic Park? And my sister was like, I don't know. I don't. Th- maybe. Maybe not. So I like that she's open to the idea of showing her Jurassic Park because I think she'd love it. Yeah. Maybe like I feel like once she turns five, because I, f- I feel like I watched it when I was like four or five because my parents were very nervous about showing to me and me being scared. But if she likes that T-Rex eat people, then she's going to like it. I know. I don't know. I don't know. I-, I feel like I'm so nervous about it because of an experience we had with our other niece of showing scary yeah, stuff too I soon. Yeah, but I don't think that that niece, she's cool too. She's really cool, but I just don't think scary movies are her thing. I don't think movies are her thing. Yeah. Like she'll watch them. Yeah. But like, I think Remy loves movies. Yeah. And she said the sweetest and saddest thing. So we had taken her to see Paddington and she goes, I want to come back to this theater and see Paddington because kids like to do things on repeat. (laughs) And I was like, oh, she doesn't understand how this theater works. So then we said she could come to our house and watch Paddington too. And she got very excited because she asked if, if she came to our house and watched it would the big crazy cat come and sit with her. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. Anyway, one day we'll get to show her Jurassic Park and then maybe oh. in another 10 years, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, man, I <laughs> honestly, I cannot wait to Jaws. show Jaws. You'll get to show her Jaws. Oh, man. I'm so excited. Nibblings are the best. I love it. Um, okay. Fantasia, <sighs> a.k.a. Fantasia. How did it make you feel? I was just in awe of the artistry. Yeah. It's really, it's really brilliant. Mm-hmm. You? Uh, just, yeah, impressed. By not only the feat of this film, but the impact that it has had and that it's not, they're not making stuff like this today. So it's definitely a really impressive piece of history. All right, last macaroni. Let's do it. Interestingly enough, I feel like this is very comparable in conversation to Fantasia. Oh, okay. We'll get into it. Yeah. We went and saw the 2022 horror film Ennisman. 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 It's directed and written by Mark Jenkin. It stars Mary Woodvine as the volunteer, Edward Rowe as the boatman, Flo Crow as the girl, and John Woodvine as the preacher. 
Synopsis, set in 1973 on an uninhabited island off the Cornish coast, a wildlife volunteer's daily observations of a rare flower turn into a metaphysical journey that forces her, as well as the viewer, to question what is real and what is nightmare. What did you think of it? Yeah, I knew not a lick about this movie. Um, The poster was up for it at Metro, and it had some accolades on it that touted it as the this really unique sort of horror movie. And then we saw a trailer for it and it seemed kind of creepy peepee. Um, so I was, we weren't going to go to it and then we're like, oh, maybe, maybe we'll go to it. Yeah. It's being kind of talked about in conversation with Skinnamarink and the Outwaters as these more experimental movies that require a degree of patience, um, newer filmmakers, and yet they're in theater. Yeah. It's like they're kind of all being talked about together, I would say. Yeah. And how cool that we were able to see all three of them in the movie theater. At Metro. Yeah. Doing just Lord's work. Um, but uh, this was, we went to see it. It was a nine o'clock show. It was a nice cap to a nice night we were having with a couple buddies of ours. We uh, we went to their place. Um we made homemade, well, well they, they made, made homemade calzones for all of us. In a pizza oven. Uh, so delicious. They make the best pizza-related food. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but a little fun anecdote is, <laughs> so one of our friends, their their names are Jake and Danielle, but Danielle was kind of talking for a while about the kind of mega bag of popcorn you can get from Cineplex that exists somewhere where it's essentially the size of five larges from Cineplex worth of popcorn in what we could call a sack. Yeah. And she, we saw John Wick 4 with them and she had talked about potentially getting it at John Wick 4. She said three hours, four people might be the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, we didn't, we didn't look into it that night. And then to add insult to injury, they, uh, wanted to get some white cheddar seasoning for their popcorn. Didn't have any of that at the Cineplex, so they had to settle for a different flavor. So it was just disappointment all around. But we had to do some uh, running around and picking up some uh, some stuff at the mall. And there's a Colonel's popcorn that's there. And they they make all different kinds of flavors of popcorn. But I'm like, I want to see if they do a version of the the mega-sized popcorn. Um, and they had all their sizes up on the wall, the largest being just the large that they had, which is comparable to a Cineplex large. But I just walk up. I'm like, hey, do you have like a really big bag of popcorn that you sell? <laughs> and they're like, well, we have the party size. I'm like, how big is that? And they just like whip out this huge bag. It's it's literally like the size of half of you, Kylie. Yeah, it's like the size of my torso. Yes. And I'm like, let's get it. But like not not only just regular popcorn, let's get white cheddar to make up for the fact they couldn't have white cheddar at the movies the other night. And they're like, okay, that'll be 20 minutes because we need, we don't have enough popcorn to (laughs) fill this. So we need to make it all fresh. I'm like, damn. All right. So we went home (laughs) and then went and picked it up. And then when we were hanging out with Jake and Danielle, we surprised Danielle with the bag of popcorn. She could not have been more thrilled. Yeah. Uh, I was so excited <laughs> for the reaction and it did not disappoint. We went bowling that night, took the bag, <laughs> took the bag with us. bowling. Yes. Took the bag with us. So we're just mowing this popcorn and then filled up some bags to bring it to Anna's men 
in the evening. Still tons of popcorn left. <laughs> Barely made a dent. But that was a fun just kind of anecdote about the evening. We'll post a picture of it. Yeah. It's wild. It needs to be seen to be believed. When we were walking out of the mall, we were turning a lot of heads. So oh, people yeah. were like, that's a lot, that's a lot of popcorn. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I I think for this film, the, the thing I'll say off the top is that it is gorgeous. Yeah. The cinematography and sound design specifically is beautiful. It's doing what the Love Witch did as an ode to older cinema. It's doing that here. And I got, in the vein of horror more. Yeah. yeah. And I got I got kind of threads of like some of the uh Bergman stuff that we've watched. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. It he was, shot it on 16 millimeter. So it is shot on film. And this was something that you and I talked about on the way home is that you know, Skinamarink, which we do really like it's shot digitally and then there's just a filter put onto it. Yeah. And you can tell. Mm-hmm. And this looks like, like it was, so we had sent the trailer to Jake and Danielle and I said, this might be terrible, but we're going to it the night that we're going bowling. Do you want to come? And they actually didn't realize it was a new movie. They, cause Metro plays a lot of older films. Mm-hmm. They thought we were seeing a film from the 1970s because it looks so accurate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is aside from just like looking great and looking like the films we grew up with. Um, just the shot composition is gorgeous. So, so amazing. Like it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I was, I was engaged in watching the images mm-hmm. from start to finish. Yes. Speaking of engagement, this was another nine thirty film and I was, I was a little sleepy. <laughs> and uh, you had to give me a few nudges because uh, I started drifting a little bit. This is a slow burn, slow, slow burn. So that didn't help things. Um, the audience was really good, though. It was. Like, considering Skinamarink. Skinamarink, the audience wasn't bad, but it was very rustly. Yeah. Um, And Outwaters, the audience was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, This, the audience was very quiet, very engaged. The film is also louder than either of well, Outwaters is loud, but this film was a lot louder than Skinamarink. Um, a good audience, which makes me really happy. Yeah. Um, this is just put forward as a horror movie. I, I think that does a bit of a disservice. Yeah, because it never really goes there. There was nothing scary about it. No, like there's a few images that were definitely kind of stuck out for me as being kind of creepy peepy. But yeah, it uh, more than, I mean... I don't know if it's fair or not to just kind of put this in the same conversation as Outwaters and Skinamarink, but of the three, this is definitely leaning more towards complex emotions at its yeah. core. Yeah, like metaphorical, abstract, yes, more artistic. So interestingly, somebody I follow on Letterboxd said this is the kind of film that like would do really well in an art gallery. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like at, where it's um. Like playing in one of those dark rooms that yeah. you can just go and sit in. And, and they specifically said that. And they said like where you could go and watch it, like watch any 10 minutes of it and love it mm-hmm. or sit and watch all 90 minutes of it and love it. But that like mm-hmm. the context of an art gallery would suit it really well. Like if we, if this was in an art gallery and we sat down and watched most of it in an art gallery, mm-hmm. don't you think we would have loved it in yeah. the context of an art gallery? Yeah. As opposed to the context of going to see a horror film. <sighs> That's a really great question. Cause yeah, totally. I would just been like, 
Ah, oh, yes, the finest art. <laughs> but it would like it changes it, right? It does. Now imagine Skinnamarink or the Outwaters in a art gallery. Again, I think it heightens. I don't. I think it heightens Skinnamarink. I think Outwaters. Really? It's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so with Skinnamarink. I think I'd question the artistry of it because I think, as much as I like Skinnamarink, I don't think it's as, it's that artistic. Well, I feel like if you put it in a, in a, like an exhibit, that's like the horror of the childhood home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got me. Yep, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. You got me. But this, just in any art gallery, any exhibit, I think I would have been like, that's one of the best exhibits I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I like that comparison a lot because I totally think that I just would have sucked up that Kool Aid in an were, art gallery. In an art gallery, which says something about how great it is yeah and yet and yet and yet i didn't love it yeah um i loved the way it looked yeah it just did not did not slap me to my core and it's not something i'm interested in delving back into at any point i'm glad that we got to see it and we got to see it in the theater mm-hmm yeah, it just it just didn't resonate on the on the inside of my brain. Yeah, and we all kind of came away from it with different interpretations, which I think can be a cool thing, but it was like different interpretations that we were like, maybe? Yeah. As opposed to different interpretations that's like, well, that's what it felt like to me and you know, like in an after sun where it's like you might experience that ending in a different way than the person beside you and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it feels emotionally true to you. And mm-hmm. this it was like Okay, wait, was that what was going on? Yeah, it was It was too specific to be ambiguous and too ambiguous to be, be specific. specific. But in an art gallery. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I will say about it is it was so gorgeous that I am very much interested in seeing the filmmaker's future work. Yeah, because I feel like there's obviously, like you've nailed the aesthetic and the way you want to make film. And it, and it just had some really interesting stuff going on with like sometimes slowing down a shot, sometimes speeding up a shot, some really interesting smash cuts, really um, disturbing sound design. like And like me being reflective on it after the fact, I, I feel like the emotional core or the story that's trying to be told from what we've interpreted it as, I think that there is a, a good story. Yeah, I agree. That he could tell. And I think depending on the day and the way I was feeling, this could have been a seven or an eight. Yeah. I I liked it. Yes. But I didn't, I don't feel the need to revisit it. Yeah. It wanted me to love it. So, so this is where I think it's like Fantasia. Mm -hmm. In that it was gorgeous to look at and there's almost no dialogue. And if someone asked me what I thought of it, I'd say, good. Would you watch it again? No, too long. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like. Yeah. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Uh, a bit disengaged, but drawn in by the craft of it. How did it make you feel? Uh, very absorbed in the visual artistry. Yeah. Those are the smackaroonies. Let's name the dads of the week. Who is your bad dad nominee? Okay. Go with me here. Okay. I'm nominating 
Shift Didier from Smoking Causes Coughing. Okay. Who is this? <laughs> the gooey rat. Right. <laughs> I take it you did not nominate Shiv Didier. <laughs> I didn't. Um, but I, I considered. Oh, did you? I considered that. Yeah. Okay. Because he like, so he's supposed to be like their leader. Mm-hmm. And he just like casually gives them this like horrifying and life altering information without any like forethought or plan. And then just like checks out after. Yeah. Um, he also takes calls with like a sexual partner in the bed and in view of the screen, like while he's wearing a robe, which I just think speaks to like inappropriate parenting. <laughs> Like as like I would not want to take a call from like my boss like that, and neither would I want to take a call from my mom like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's not cool. Um, and he just like seems half out of it all of the time. Where it's like, ah, oh, they need to save the world, but <laughs> I've got something else to do. Um, so I thought he was a pretty bad dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who'd you name? Um, my bad dad nominee or my bad da nominee. <sighs> I figured is da. From The Quiet Girl. Um, maybe a bit low-hanging fruit, but I just felt that Da was disconnected from his family mm-hmm. um, and just had this very sort of passive attitude about him. And he just seemed kind of constantly frustrated or pissed um, and was looking for opportunities in the wrong places to make his life easier or tolerable, mm-hmm. um, which is damaging and hurtful and also like all of that just contributes to overall just him being a big dink. So I do kind of interpret his character a little differently. Okay. I think his character feels a lot of shame Mm. for not being able to take care of his family the way that he wants to. Mm. And therefore he turns to anger. He turns to frustration. He turns to gambling. He turns to all of these things and I saw in him an inability to express the emotions he's really feeling. Like in the scene where he drops off his daughter, mm. I actually think he was wrestling with feeling really upset about it mm. and couldn't express it. Mm. And um, in some of the final shots of the film, I feel like we're meant to see that nuance and complication of like, there's something more going on with him. I actually think, ma or mom is more of a bad dad than he is Mm. like she's the one who says take her for as long as you want right whereas he seems like he's just like he's exhausted and he keeps having children and he's supposed to be the provider and he's failing at providing and he just can't deal with that which i don't think makes him a good parent but i think it makes him a complicated parent that's fair you swayed me not only because of that but because I would love to get more exposure for smoking causes coffee. <laughs> All right, so shift Didier. Don't, <laughs> Don't be, be our, our dad. dad. Yuck. <laughs> Big yuck. I'm curious if we have the same rad dad. Do you want to count a three it? Let's do it. Okay. First uh, name? Of the character? Yeah. <laughs> we don't have the same one. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, let's <laughs> let's cancel that. How about no, let's you? Let's do it anyway. Okay. Okay. Three, Three, two, two one, Sharon. Oh, <laughs> he has a last name? No. Well, you said first name of the character, implying to me that the f- character also has a last name. Well, I didn't want to discount in case yours did have a last name. Because sometimes we do like Miss Honey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So we did, yep. 
Pick the same one. Um, yeah, I mean, Sharon, of course. Um, I, I think he's kind. I think he's loyal. Mm-hmm. He anticipates your needs, uh, which I really appreciate. Senses your emotions and aims to help. And is also just there without being overbearing. Yeah, that was one of the things I had is um, like thinking from a parenting perspective. He's calm and he self-regulates himself even when the situation is one where whoever enters his space is not self-regulated. Yes. Um, And I feel like any time, like we as audiences, an audience member are kind of a conduit for John Wick, right? Mm -hmm. And he'll enter the Continental and be just... Down and out. <laughs> and it's like as soon as he walks up to that desk and sees Sharon, it's like instant regulation. Yeah. And like Sharon like knows yeah. what John Wick needs just by looking at him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's quite impressive. Um, I also had that like that sense of caretaking and, and assessing others' needs, but I also don't think that Sharon is like a pushover. I don't think he'd do anything he doesn't want to do, and I don't think he'd do anything that is misaligned with who he is as a person. Or even with what his job is. Like, if he does it, it's because he wants to. Like, in, I'm thinking about a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think, you know, yeah, he's on your side. If he's on your side, he's on your side 100%. Loyal to the soil. Yeah. I would love to have Sharon as a dad. Me too. So, Sharon from John Wick. The be late, a- great. That's right. That's right. Be our dad. dad. Elliot. Yeah. I've got a daddy. Of course you do. I know who it is. No, you don't. <laughs> Who is it? Three, two, one. John, John Wick. Wick. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. The daddy that's the, that's the slap daddy. <laughs> What's a slap daddy? He's just he's slapping, slapping all the, the wrongdoers down in the world. Well, as our, uh, our friend Danielle put it, he is um, so cool and tall and handsome or something like that. <laughs> something to that effect. Not wrong. Not wrong. Um, Keanu Reeves is a total babe in everything that he's in, but including real life. Mm-hmm. There's something about John Wick. Yeah. Better you haircut know? than speed Keanu Reeves. Oh, she said he's sleek and so sleek and looks long and tall. So cool <laughs> and collected. <laughs> um, accurate, accurate, accurate. And that is what makes John Wick the ultimate daddy. Hell yeah. So John Wick. Okay. Red wreck of the week. Um, we are wrecking the record by Boy Genius. If you like us are lesbians, <laughs> then you've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. But what I've recently discovered, I thought just like everyone knew about this album and loved it. And I'm like, oh no, it's just because like all my friends are queer women. Yeah. And as soon as we started hanging out with some folks who aren't that and they like haven't heard of it and like we've got it on in the car and like no one's singing along. I'm like, what? What's the matter with you? Wake up. So if you have not heard, I think our audience uh, listeners are a lot of queer folks and women. But um, if you haven't heard of the record by Boy Genius, holy moly. Supergroup, Lucy Dacus, Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker. Uh, a bunch of powerful ladies making powerful tunes. Uh, powerful queer ladies making powerful queer tunes yeah this is their first full-length record their Uh, ep is also fantastic though yeah uh this is an incredible batch of songs they made an accompanying what they're calling the film 
uh, that you can watch on YouTube for the first three singles that were released, directed by the also very queer Case Stu, a.k.a. Kristen Stewart, um, which is super fun. We were at our buddy Ashley's when it dropped, and like 16 minutes after it dropped, we're like, oh, got to watch it. Mm-hmm. We watched it together. We were so excited. Um, so that's Red Wreck. Go listen to the record wherever you stream it. Support them. Buy a physical copy of it. Watch the film on YouTube. Check it out. Boy Genius. Thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Do you want us to do a John Wick deep dive? Let us know on Instagram. Also, you can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you'd share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for these John Wickheads this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Bad.